The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. <clears throat> good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, it is good to be with you. As uh, it's been a few weeks since uh, I've been in the pulpit and my family and I have been traveling, it was nice for us to be on vacation, to get away, to play a little bit, but it is also very good for us to be back and to see your faces and to hear your voices and to be able to worship together. And so, uh, so welcome. If you're a guest or a visitor, we're glad that you're with us. And this morning, we're continuing in our summer series in the Psalms, and we'll be looking at Psalm 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 5. There are also Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project uh, the passage on the screens in just a moment. Psalm 5 is a Psalm of David, and we know it's a Psalm of David because the title tells us. If you have your Bibles open, you look there, you see that before verse 1, it says, "...to the choir master for the flutes, a Psalm of David." When we come across those uh, all-caps words that come before verse 1 in our Bibles, uh, we should know that those are not additions by English translators. Those are actually part of the Hebrew Bible. They are part of the original Hebrew text. And as such, they're part of our scriptures. So they're actually verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. They're verse 0 in ours. <laughs> I'm not sure how you have 0. But anyway, regardless, but uh, they are part of the scriptures. And this Part, this title informs us that this is written by David. And David here is lamenting. He's lamenting. He's crying out. He's in a time of grief, of agony, of turmoil. And he calls out. And this is important for us. This is helpful that God gives us these laments because we experience grief. We experience turmoil. We too have had to cry out. And so where do we go? Where do we turn? Well, Psalm 5 helps us. Let's read. David writes to the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that as we come to it now that you would lead us in the way that we are to go. 
Father, we need your help, so we ask that you would take us by the hand and you would show us your love, your mercy, your grace, that you would cover us and protect us even now. So help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So over the last month, <clears throat> my family and I have been watching a lot of European soccer. Some of you may not know this, but over the last month, uh, Euro 2020 was happening. Euro 2020 is the European Championship. It takes place every four years. It's Euro 2020 because it was supposed to take place a year ago, but they delayed it because of COVID. And so we knew it was coming, and so my family and I decided we'd get a one-month subscription to Sling, and we would watch as much soccer as we could. And so we got to watch Portugal and Spain and England and Italy and the Netherlands and all these wonderful teams. And, and really, it is amazing what they can do with their feet, <laughs> right? What they can do with that little ball. It is remarkable. And so we watched game after game after game. And, and the tournament culminated last weekend with the championship game. England was playing Italy at Wembley Stadium in England before 80,000 fans, and the game was magnificent. It was wonderful. After full time, it was one-to-one. -one. The game went into extra time, two extra periods. periods. And after both extra periods, the game was still one-to-one. -one. And so the entire championship was going to be decided by penalty kicks. And so Italy and England, they took their turns, right? One man for Italy would step up and he would take his shot and the next for England and back and forth they went and some scored and some missed and some were saved. And then the final player for England stepped forward. He stepped forward, he's a 19-year-old winger, Bukayo Saka. Saka, excuse me. He stepped up and he needed to score or Italy would win and England's 55-year drought would continue. This 19-year-old, he stepped up, took the ball, he placed it on the, the marker where he was to take his PK. He took a few steps back, he breathed, he readied himself, he came forward, and he struck it. And the ball was going to his right towards the lower right-hand corner of the goal. And if he scores, England ties, and they'll go into more PKs, they'll continue to play. It's going in, and then the Italian keeper saved it get fully stretched, and he knocked the ball away. And that stadium of 80,000 English fans went completely quiet as Italy celebrated the championship. And there was Saka standing there where he had taken his shot. Think about that, this 19-year-old. It was the most important shot in his young career. And it is a shot that will probably he'll carry with him for the rest of his career because every time he steps forward to take a penalty kick, people will remember, will be reminded of this one that he took, right? They'll probably play replay after replay of it, of how it saved, how he didn't come through. There he stood, this 19-year-old. And he took his shirt and he pulled it over his face so that no one could see him weep. He stood in the middle of that field, 80,000 fans and millions more watching from home, and he cried. He wept. He stood there in his grief and sadness, in his disappointment and agony. And though teammates came and pat him on the back, though they whispered in his ear, his face remained covered, surrounded by people, but surely feeling completely alone. It's not hard to imagine the emotional turmoil that he was experiencing in that moment, is it? It's not hard to experience it because we've experienced it. 
not in front of thousands and thousands of fans, not, in fr- not on a global stage, but we've experienced failure and distress and burden, right? right? We've experienced the distress that we feel, that thorn in our flesh at work. You know, that man or woman who every time we see them, we have to prepare ourselves emotionally, mentally for that conversation that's going to come. We've experienced that distress. We've experienced the burden of walking into our homes and hearing families not that are expressing love and kindness, but anger and argue and bitterness. We feel the burden of the slow drips of passive aggressiveness that simply wear us down. We too have experienced emotional turmoil, grief, and groaning. And so what do we do? Well, maybe you drown your cries with drink. Maybe you feed your groans with food. Maybe you lurk on social media feeling self-righteous about what you see. But where should we turn? In grief and sadness, in times of turmoil or agony? Where should we turn? Well, David says in verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. David groans, he cries, but he groans and cries out to the Lord. Now remember what we know about David. David was the greatest human king that Old Testament Israel had ever had. And so he had power, he had authority, he had soldiers at his disposal. And so in his time of need, in his time of groaning, where does he turn? Well, not to himself. Not to his own authority, not to his position. He turns to the Lord. Right? What David, the king, needed was the true king. That's what he calls God. My king and my God. You see, David looks not to himself. He looks to the Lord. And friends, that is where we are to look. In times of grief, in times of groaning, we are to cry out to the Lord. And we cry out to him because of the Lord's justice. That's what we see in our passage. Look at verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So we see the reason for David's groaning and his crying out. David is looking around and he's seeing evil and wickedness around him. Now, we don't know who these evil and wicked people are. David doesn't tell us, right? Maybe they were the enemies that we know would encircle David, would come at him, would attack him. We know this from First and Second Samuel. Maybe it was a time when Absalom rose up in rebellion against him. Remember David's son who did this. Maybe that's what's precipitating him to cry out. Maybe that's the evil and wickedness he's saying. We don't know. But what we do know is that there is evil. And what is it that evildoers do? Well, what are those things when you think of evil, when you think of wickedness? What are, where does your mind run? Murder? Abuse? Assault? Right? And rightfully so. Those are the places our mind should go because those things are wicked and evil. But notice the evil that David sees. It's the evil of the tongue. Look at verse 6. They were speaking lies. He calls them bloodthirsty. Why? Because they were deceitful. 
And he expands on this in verses 9 through 10. There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. You see what, see what the evil and wickedness is that was being perpetrated was that they were using words to destroy and their tongues to do damage. And so, friends, this should actually this should blow up our category of what it means to do evil or wicked things. Because rightfully so, we think of murder and abuse and assault and those sorts of things. But what David is telling us is that it is not just confined to those extreme examples, but actually our words. The psalmist doesn't say, well, these are just only little white lies. These are harmful truths. No, he says it is wicked. That these are the product, products of wicked people. And y'all, God is against the wicked. And he opposes the evil. Look at verse 5. The boastful shall not stand. You hate all evildoers. Verse 6. You destroy those who speak lies. Verse 10. Make them bear their guilt. Because of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. You see, God's justice, his wrath, his righteous punishment, that is what David is invoking. Now, I know, I know this is not something that we often think about. And it's probably not something we like to think about, right? God's justice, his wrath, his punishment. If you were to just grab your neighbor, you know, just a regular neighbor, a friend, a coworker, and you ask them, like, how would you describe God? What would they probably say? Well, God is love, right? And he is, absolutely. We're going to talk about God's love in just a moment. But God is not just a God of love. God is a God of justice. And we need God to be a God of justice. We want God to be a God of justice. Because if God isn't just, then we have no answer to the wickedness of this world. If God is not just, then we have no hope that truth will win over lies or that beauty will defeat ugliness or that righteousness will reign over sin. I mean, think about that. If, if there is no God who is just, if he is simply loving and he doesn't care about the evil or the wickedness of this world, where will we turn? To ourselves? To, to authorities? To government? To armies? To soldiers? To the, I mean... That's, that hasn't helped us yet, has it? There's still wickedness, there's still evil. No, no, we need one who can actually do something in an ultimate way, and that's who God is. Miroslav Volf, the theologian who actually lived for a period of time under communist reign, he said if God were not angry at the injustice and deception, so he saw evil and wickedness. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. And he's right. Because if God is not just, then friends, we are left in our despair. But the good news of this passage is that we actually have a response to the evil and wickedness of this world. And the answer isn't us. It's not me and it's not you. It is the Lord. It is his justice because God doesn't ignore evil and he doesn't go deaf to deceit. He will not let evil win. And the reason we know this is because of the cross. The reason we know this is because in the cross, Jesus dealt with evil. He dealt with my evil. 
and yours because that's what sin is. Sin is evil and wickedness against a true and holy God. And he took it upon himself. He dealt with it. He took God's wrath and his just punishment. And instead of allowing it to fall upon us, he took it upon himself. God dealt with our sin justly. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pass over it. He laid it on Christ. And so these verses, friends, actually give us great confidence That when we see the evil and wickedness in this world, they give us great confidence that God will oppose and deal with that evil. And these verses should cause us to examine our own lives. I mean, are are we using our words and our tongues in rebellion against God? Are we those who stand opposed to his ways? Friends, if that is the case... Repent. Turn from your sin. Repent. Cry out to God. Cry out to him because he is just. He will not let sin go unattended. Cry out to him because he is just, but cry out to him also because he is love. You see, that's the second thing we see. Not just God's justice, but we see God's love. Look at verse 7. David says, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. David enters into God's presence. And how does he enter? Not by his righteous works. Not by how how he is held fast and firm to God's word or by his own holy words. No, David, like us, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, David doesn't invoke his own works. He doesn't appeal to himself when he comes to God. He appeals to God through the abundance of your steadfast love. You see, friends, the only reason we can enter into his presence is because of his love. As one theologian put it, sin will keep you out of God's presence, but obedience will not get you in. The only way for a sinner to come before God is through his loving kindness, his undeserved covenant love. And that's what David appeals to. And that's what we are to appeal to. I mean, we heard it already in our service, didn't we, in the assurance of pardon? In Titus chapter 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When the loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. He saved us. Friends, think about, like, we should never grow tired of talking about or thinking about or speaking about or hearing about the love of God. We should never grow tired of it. This is not something for when we first believed. It is for all time. Because it is God's love that keeps beckoning us. It is God's love that keeps pursuing us. It is God's love that allows us to enter into his presence. And when we think about who we are, that we were those who had sinned against our God, when we think about what we've done, that we rebelled against him, when we think about what we deserve, his just punishment. I mean, how, doesn't that make God's love all the more amazing? That he, he loves us, he loves me, and you. Friends, God's love is a doorway into his presence. It is the doorway into his presence. 
But his love not only brings his presence, his love also leads us. That's where David turns in verse 8. He enters into his presence and says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. You see, David knows that he needs God's love to lead him, to make his path straight, that apart from God on our own, our paths would be crooked. That, uh, that our ways would never be straight. Now, some of you know that over the last uh, three or so years, I've been doing a lot of work in my yard. I mean, a lot of work in my yard. When we first bought our house, it, our backyard was this hill. It just sloped down. There were trees everywhere. It was basically like woods and forests. And we couldn't use it, right? It was just woods and squirrels and, you know, there was nothing that we could do. And so we started cutting down trees. And we cut down some more and we cut down some more and we hung up a zip line and we set up the trampoline and we started to play. But, but that wasn't enough for us. We wanted more. We wanted a place that we could use and a place that we could play. And so I talked to Thomas, our, you know, friendly landscaper in our midst. And, and he said, oh, yeah, Penny, you could totally do this, right? Cut into the hill. You can borrow my skid steer. And so I did. I borrowed a skid steer, and I started to cut into the hill, and I started to move dirt. And there were a few hiccups along the way that some of you know about, but that, that's another day regardless. But, but we started to do it, and, and he told me exactly what I should do and how I could level it and how it would be straight and how it would be this great place for us to play. And so I did it. We put down the grass seed, and sure enough, just as Thomas said, the grass grew. And after a little while, we were out there, and we got to play on this grass. And as you would look down from our, uh, from our deck, everything looked so flat, so smooth, so straight. But then when you go down there, and you try to kick the ball, or you try to play cornhole, like nothing was level. <laughs> Once you got down there, it what looked flat and smooth and straight was actually really bumpy. And it was crooked and it wasn't straight. And, and I, it didn't matter what I, what I did. It didn't matter how hard I tried. You see, I just wasn't good enough to make it straight. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't talented enough to make it flat. And so what I do? I call Thomas. <laughs> and Thomas got the same skid steer that I had been using and he miraculously made it perfectly flat. And those crooked lines that I had created, he straightened. And now we can play, and we can kick, and we can throw cornhole, and we can do all those sorts of things. But, but friends, in the end, what I needed was someone who was better than me. I couldn't make those crooked lines straight. I couldn't make those bumps flat. I needed someone better than me. And that was true not only of my yard, it's true of my life. It's true of your lives that left to ourselves will walk along crooked paths. I mean, we sing this, don't we? In that beautiful hymn, Come Thou Found, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We need God to direct our ways. We need him to show us the path where to walk. Like David, we need to cry out, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, and out of his love he does. He leads us, right? He gives us his word, as a light unto our path. He gives us his word to direct us in the way in which we are to go. He gives us his spirit that prompts us so that we would know how to live. He shows us the way we are to go. His love leads us and it brings us into his presence. And finally, his love, it protects us. It's what we see in verses 11 through 12. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. 
Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. What a beautiful image David gives us. That God spreads his protection like a blanket over his people. That God is, is like a shield before us. That, that he defends us against the, the arrows and the attack of the enemy. Yes, yes, we still may get get hit from time to time. We may feel harm. We may even have some scars, but God will ultimately protect us. That is what he tells us. That out of his love, he protects us and cares for us. Out of his love, he leads us. Out of his love, he calls us into his presence. It's a powerful thing to consider. You know, as powerful of an image as it was seeing Sokka standing alone in his grief and his loss, that's actually not the most powerful image I took away from that game. You see, that's not the image that runs through my mind. Because after his miss, his teammates did come and pat him on the shoulder, on the back, and they whispered in his ear. But they walked away. And there he stood in the attacking third of the field, at the top of the box, his face still covered with his shirt, weeping. Standing alone, but, but then his coach, Gareth Southgate, came to Sokka, this 19-year-old on the world's biggest stage. He came to him, and Southgate approached this young man, and he opened his arms, and he embraced him and wrapped him in his arms. And Sokka put his head on his coach's shoulder and buried his head in his chest, and he wept. And after the game, Coach Southgate said of Sokka, he said, he's not alone. He's not alone. And he'll never be on his own as far as we're concerned. It's this beautiful picture of this man in his time of grief, in his time of agony, in his time of turmoil, crying out and finding love. And friends, a greater love is given to those who are trusting in Christ. For this holy God who brings justice, he also brings love. And so today, cry out to him. And through his love, enter into his presence. By his love, follow his leading. Because of his love, know his protecting. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you have actually given us what it is that we need and what we can get nowhere else. And that is yourself. You have given us your presence, your leading, your protection, and you have done it through your Son, our Lord Jesus. And so I pray that we would cry out and we would rest and we would find our refuge in you so that today in all of our days we would rejoice. We would rejoice at the love that you have shown to us. And we pray all this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, Amen.